Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Matthew Stoltz. Um, and today, hopefully, some of you will have heard that name and may recognize who that is, uh, and many of you may not, so I will make sure to introduce Matthew. He studies the interface between exercise, physical activity, and mental stress, uh, which his research demonstrates is related to impaired muscular recovery after exercise. He also investigates the impact of stress on efforts to be physically active. So um, kind of stress, activity, this is all stuff that we love talking about on the podcast. He has a PhD in kinesiology and health education and clinical exercise physiologist at Yale New Haven, Haven, sorry, New Haven Hospital. Uh, so Matt, is there anything else you want to kind of let the listeners know about you? Uh, I know that was a very kind of rough introduction. <laughs> Um, no, that was a, that was a great introduction. Part of it sounded very familiar, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm sort of somewhat of a generalist in terms of, uh, my interest in sports medicine. So I, I'm very interested in stress and recovery and how stress, uh, like you said, impairs our efforts to be physically active. So that's, that's much more of a psychobiological approach. Um, but uh, I was an athlete for many years and um, up until recently, uh, participating in, in CrossFit and um, the, all of the, uh, the Spartan races. And uh, I practice at Yale New Haven Hospital in surgery. Uh, as a clinical exercise physiologist, and I've been doing that for about five or six years. Um, I've been certified by the American College of Sports Medicine since 2002, uh, first as a health fitness instructor and now as an exercise physiologist. So, you know, and I taught for many years as well uh, at Teachers College Columbia, New York, and um, at Northern Illinois University outside Chicago. So uh, I'm somewhat equally divided between research, teaching, and clinical practice. Awesome. I think that's helpful because uh, a lot of the kind of the greatness about the podcast and the people we end up bringing on like yourself is uh, they can kind of put their knowledge into practical terms. And I guess as a teacher, you've had to do that, uh, which is great. Right. And the thing I'd be, and you kind of touched on it, maybe uh, I'd be just love to hear what got you so interested in kind of mental stress and the relationship with exercise. Yeah, that's a really funny story because as a, a young master's student when I was 22, 23 years old, uh, starting my graduate studies, um, stress was my least favorite topic. Um, you know, we studied the, the cellier model of the, of the gas, right? The general adaptation syndrome, uh, which is just a horrible sounding acronym, first of all, right? <laughs> gas. And uh, uh, I had no interest uh, in these phenomena whatsoever. But as a doctoral student, I was making a transition from studying exercise gerontology. I had done a Fulbright fellowship in Finland um, in Uvascula. And when I moved to Austin, Texas, uh, my advisor, John Bartholomew, whom we know as Bart, he basically just told me that I'm going to study stress. <laughs> He gave me a data set. He said, I was going to analyze this data set. I'm going to write it up. I'm going to publish in the journal of strength and conditioning research. And, and we did that. And he basically set the course for me. And I was, I was quite hesitant because studying stress clearly made me stressed. Right. Okay. Uh, especially uh, one of the studies I'm, I'm more well known for uh, the stress and recovery study as I did uh, as part of my dissertation. It was, 
it was very stressful just to conduct the study. And we can get into the nuances of that. Um, but in, in short, I sort of just fell into this line of research. And uh, of course, now I'm, I've been in, in completely enthralled and intrigued with these, uh, these phenomena that we've been observing. And um, we've published some papers and we've been cited pretty well. So I think, I think I might continue with it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think it's sometimes... I, I think I've read various books where people talk about like following your passion or whatever. And a lot of people end up mm -hmm. becoming passionate about a thing that they weren't even aware that right. that was a passion or in your case, it was something you yes. really weren't passionate about. <laughs> right. Exactly. And for the listeners, actually, well, for myself, can we define stress? Is there a, a clear kind of definition from your standpoint? Uh, the first thing that pops into mind is just the challenge to homeostasis uh, that I think most of your, your listeners will be familiar with the concept of, of equilibrium or homeostasis uh, from a scientist named Cannon. Um, and this is, this is, uh, you know, one of the preeminent concepts in all science, science the, the concept of homeostasis. And so a challenge to that homeostasis is maybe the simplest way to define stress. Um, so that's a very, psychobiological approach. Um, and, you know, Selye was really a physiologist. He wasn't a psychologist. And so uh, psychologists, many psychologists have not, you know, have not favored recently that the whole concept of stress, they more favor the, the concepts of anxiety or depression or other facets of mental health. Um, because just defining stress is somewhat, um, somewhat, uh, uh, it's, it's not, it's easy. It's just not easy to, to really define stress. But if we just start with a working definition of, you know, a challenge to homeostasis, that seems to be a good start. And I guess uh, at least our audience are very much physique orientated in like building muscle, right. losing fat, and that's all a change to homeostasis. <laughs> We're constantly, as a bodybuilder, maybe you're constantly battling this homeostasis and any athlete, I guess you're always trying to progress and improve. So, Stress is ever present right. for us. So, yeah, the whole, I mean, it's exercise science 101 or kinesiology 101. You probably learn about supercompensation, right? So um, exercise is stress, right? Clearly, you are stressing yourself with a physical stressor, exercise, and a mental stressor at that, too, uh, because you're hoping to challenge yourself enough that you're going to have some physiological decrements, and then you're going to supercompensate, and you're going to build back up and uh, reach a new functional baseline above your previous baseline. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a super relevant concept for anyone who's interested in making um, any type of fitness gains. And actually, you mentioned it in terms of how it's hard from a psychological aspect to recognize stress and kind of clearly define it, I guess, physiologically, you can have things like hunger or you feel full or you feel like soreness, fatigue. Can you... A question I always kind of think of is people talk about not being stressed, but could you be stressed and not necessarily recognize it as like, you, you're like, oh, I'm not stressed, but it could be someone who's under quite a lot of stress. Yes. Uh, stress suppressors, people who um, don't recognize stress or are somehow they just push it out of their minds. Um, there's there's a, a concept called alexithymia, people who 
just don't recognize their emotions, don't recognize that they're stressed. Um, we could give something like the perceived stress scale, the PSS, uh, which is a very simple uh, short measure of subjective stress. And there'll be some people who are clearly stressed who will, who will who rate themselves as having zero stress. And perhaps the best example I have of that, um, I was working on a study where we had some refugees from Iraq. Uh, so uh, this would have been around 2005, 2006. Uh, they had immigrated to the United States. Um, clearly huge life changes. Um, uh, these, these, these fellows were, uh, they were fluent in English. So there wasn't just a language barrier, but when we gave them a variety of different stress scales, they almost always reported that they had zero stress. So I think there are also uh, cultural facets to this and maybe, you know, maybe it's just not masculine um, to say that you have stress, you, you just, you know, it's sort of this alpha mentality of, you know, I'm untroubled and nothing stresses me out. So yeah, that's, that adds another layer of complexity to this whole issue. No, I think, I think uh, listening to that, like just, I don't know, you think about old school bro, bodybuilder type mentality. It's like harder is better. No, I can do this. I'm hardcore, that kind of mentality. So I think that definitely on the surface runs through a lot of kind of the people that weight train. Well, you know, um, humans thrive on stress, right? Um, that's, that's just a very human characteristic. Uh, uh, stress, we need stress. There, uh, if we didn't have any stress, we would be bored, right? And being completely bored is perhaps worse than being stressed. When I was serving in the, in the American military, uh, you know, you think, wow, there must be like immense challenges. It must be really tough. It must be really grueling. But there were probably more days that were just completely boring, right? We were just uh, cleaning or ironing our uniforms. <laughs> like there's no stress whatsoever. And those were actually the hardest days because you're just, you, you needed some, you're waiting for and needed some stimuli, something to excite you. So there, there really needs to be some sort of happy medium between, uh, you know, not enough stress and too much stress. I think that's really interesting because I actually always think about it in terms of, I don't know, sometimes for myself personally, I, I like thrive on the stress. And sometimes when mm -hmm. I am resting, or I think I, I went to like a, a weekend spa once, and I just felt, I, I felt like I felt awful. And I don't know if I was just feeling all the kind of subsequent stress hitting me, or it was the fact that actually doing something that I thought as de-stressing almost stressed me more than actually <laughs> doing something that was mm -hmm. meant to be stressful. Well, also, were you disconnected from your phone? Yes. Okay, so that, <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, that, that, that could be another, you know, factor thrown in there. Anytime, you know, someone takes away my phone, like if I go to a spa or something, I just get like a little stressed out and jittery. It takes me a few hours to get used to that. So, yeah. I, I also think of the example of like a coffee is like a stimulant, but also sitting mm -hmm. down to having a cup of coffee. If you like coffee somewhat feels like de-stressing so it's kind of i guess a lot of these i don't know if i'm right in thinking that some things can kind of be inherently kind of both stressful but also de-stressing in different ways like obviously that's a physiological potential uplift of stress from having caffeine but de-stressing maybe psychologically by having that kind of nice tasting uh, black liquid go down your throat <laughs> Right. I mean, just the whole concept of distress versus eustress. So eustress, 
yeah, uh, with an E, U at the beginning, U stress is a good stress. And then the distress, uh, DIS, you know, being distressed is clearly a, a bad thing. So um, stress in itself, just the word stress is actually neutral. Very interesting. And I don't know, Yeah. my final question before we dig into that study that you spoke about, is there are there subjective and objective markers of stress? Do you have like those available? Do you use those? Oh yeah, there's a lot. Uh, so uh, subjective ways to measure stress, you can obviously give people pen and um, paper surveys, right? The like perceived stress scale or the life event questionnaires. Um, you can also corroborate a person's stress by interviewing significant others in their life, you know, a roommate, um, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a, a mom or dad, who, I mean, son, daughter, whoever, right? Because they might have greater insights into the stress level of that person. Uh, so that's called triangulation, triangulating stress by asking the person themselves, asking people who know that person, and then um, objective biomarkers like cortisol as measured in saliva or hair. Um, um, Obviously, uh, adrenaline, um, salivary amylase is a really uh, popular biomarker to measure uh, as an indicator of stress. So, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I think the the triangulation one, just I think when you think about that, that could be a great way to get those people that suppress that stress. And then you ask their kind of better half or whatever you call it, <laughs> are they stressed? And they probably have a bit more of an objective opinion in some ways. Refugees. <laughs> yeah, um, you know their wives would pull us aside and say um, <laughs> these guys are like really 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 stressed but they would never show it they were extremely it's stoicism right they were yeah. just extremely stoic so but you know stoicism in itself it was just that rigidity or pe appearance of of being stoic that in itself is an interesting uh emotional marker of stress right so you know some people when they um, when they're stressed, they, they activate, they become like extremely, um, hyper or they have some, some, something like mania, right? They're just very active. Uh, maybe they're really expressive with their emotions. And then there's another group of people to do the exact opposite, right? Um, it's just sort of hide in, they, they clench up, um, they withdraw, they avoid things, they become more stoic. So it's, it's almost like you have to profile a person. Um, and, and there's certain stress profile and, and, and everyone's different. Almost sounded like kind of the fight or flight response. The kind of stoicism is, feels like a bit more flight versus the people that get kind of irate being that fighter. Right. And, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's really not just fight or flight. It's really fight, flight or freeze. Okay. So, um, you know, in, in the face of stress, it's also potentially adaptive to just freeze. And a really good example of this actually is uh, our missed interview last week. <laughs> because when uh, when I sat down on my computer and I had done my hair and I straightened <laughs> out my tie and everything and I turned on the computer and I'm all ready for our interview. And then I, I suddenly realized that I've missed our interview. <laughs> and it was funny because I wasn't, I wasn't stressed in the sense that I wasn't like suddenly uh, emailing you and I wasn't getting frantic. I wasn't frantic. Um, I just sort of sat there for several <laughs> minutes, minutes and, and 
like suspended animation. I like utter disbelief. Like, how did I just miss this? Because we had exchanged so many emails. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's just sort of a good example of sort of like a freezing response um, in response to stress. And uh, yeah, it easily done. But uh, I like the example. Uh, so to go over the, the study you spoke about was the effects of stress on physical activity and exercise, uh, which, yes. as you said, it's been cited over 400 times now, uh, reviewed in 168 papers and First of all, I don't know if you want to just kind of summarize what you found. I know that's a very broad um, <laughs> question, but I don't know if you do have a summary from that. Yes. Uh, so I was approached by Dr. Rajita Sinha. She's at the Yale School of Medicine. and I was working for her um, in the Department of Psychiatry. And uh, about a month into my new job with her, she approached me and asked me if I would write up a paper on simply just the effect the associations of psychological stress with facets of physical activity, you know, markers of, of physical activity or exercise. Then it was basically it. She's, she just commissioned me. She said, Hey, I'm interested in this idea. It was actually her idea. And she didn't have any more advice. She just sort of like, let me run with it. And I spent about a year and a half to two years developing that paper. And after we're, after reading about 400 papers, um, that looked at various uh, slants on that topic, what I came to the conclusion was that uh, by and far, yes, uh, psychological stress does seem to be associated with um, less physical activity. But how that, that pans out is really interesting. Um, first of all, uh, we had done a study with uh, Rayford Lutz, Dr. Rayford Lutz, who was at Baylor University. Uh, he passed away several years ago from cancer, but uh, he had completed a study with John Bartholomew and myself. And what we found is that, that uh, people who were habitual exercisers um, were less likely uh, to be adversely affected by stress. As a matter of fact, people who are habitual exercisers sometimes exercise more in the face of stress, okay? Because that's just what they like to do. It's what, what makes them feel good, right? And that totally makes sense. If you're stressed and you're a habitual exerciser, you like to exercise, uh, perhaps you're an athlete, you know, you might be more likely to, you know, skip the homework and go to the gym. Right, or spend a little extra time at the gym, um, or socialize a little bit more at the gym, um, or do a little bit more cardio or whatever. So there's a group of people that in the face of stress seem to be more active. It's what I was, I was just telling you about five minutes ago, they activate, okay? So they're stress activators, right? Um, and then there's a group of people who are completely inhibited by stress, right? They're sort of deactivated. They withdraw. So in the face of stress, their, their whole exercise routine just seems to fall apart. Okay. Um, and then there's a group of people in the middle who don't seem to be affected one way or the other. Um, they could be stressed even quite a bit and they're just steady. You know, they, they go to the gym three times a week. They work, you know, they get on the cardio or they lift weights for 30 minutes and they're unflappable. They just, they just continue to do that. So broadly speaking, um, what we found in our review paper that's been cited so well is that essentially that's basically the way it pans out across all of these papers that we reviewed. Okay. So the majority of papers find that 
in the face of stress, yeah, people, people move less. They're less active. Um, their, their, their intensity in the gym is just not as good. Um, and then there's, an, however, there's another group of people that particularly, you know, maybe men uh, that seem to exercise more. And so I think that was a novel finding um, in this review paper um, because it's sort of, again, it goes back to that stress profiling, right? which I think is really important for coaches to know, right? Uh, now, if, you're, if your athletes are stressed with the finals or something like this, they're not all going to respond the same to stress. I guess, yeah. I mean, if, for example, if, I don't know, if you're coaching a student and they had like f studies coming up in the next months, you might assume, oh, I can't reduce your training because that's a stressor and that's going to cause like worse outcomes for you. You can concentrate more and be de-stressed by having less. But they might be, like you said, someone who actually for them doing some exercises, de-stressing. Is there a, a kind of sweet spot for people? Because obviously activity and doing exercise is inherently kind of somewhat taxing and stressful. But for some people that is in like a U-stress. Is there a, like a, a point at which like a U-shaped bell curve? Hmm. Um, I would like to find that out. Uh, I, I can tell you how I respond to stress. I just, I'll just speak from my own personal experience. Um, I think what happens to me in face of like a truly negative, like aversive stress, I probably will spend more time at the gym. I'll be, I will be activated in that sense. I will spend maybe two or more hours at the gym, but I will not be focused on the quality of my workout. So what I, when I'm stressed, what I'm aiming for is I'm aiming for a certain, um, a certain intensity level of the exercise, a sort of a constant intensity level, because that just feels good to me and it's what I'm used to. And it's sort of my dominant response in the gym. But uh, am I really focused on my training objectives during that workout? Probably not. You know, I'm, I'm not really focused on 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 challenging myself um i'm not even counting sets or repetitions right it's sort of like so it's like the whole prefrontal cortex is just sort of shut down <laughs> you know oh the the cognitive pre-planning and planning and scheming out everything that's just that's just not working and my emotions are just totally taking over here right i'm just going i'm just going for an emotional effect in the gym right i'm just burning energy and I'm trying to just diffuse that negative tension that's built up through the stress. So that's, that, that's what happens to me. Um, I don't know if that really gets at your question. Um, I have a question off the back of it, uh, just okay. because it's an interesting scenario because I was thinking if my client, if I had a client who was stressed and they were doing kind of like they were someone like yourself, like an activator and they were going to the gym and they weren't executing the plan as we had laid out. Uh, mm -hmm. I would be thinking I need to, if that person who I know reacts like that becomes stressed, kind of almost talk them down and try and prevent them from doing it. Is that, do you think, a good strategy? Because obviously actually doing as you said is de-stressing them at the same time but it might be counter to what we're trying to achieve from like a, a coaching and training aspect whereas i guess for someone who freezes or kind of pulls back i might have to mm. encourage them to continue going to the gym and pushing themselves but maybe that also is counter to what their kind of stress response is ideally so that was basically the whole point of my dissertation what we did was 
um, we took a group of like highly stressed, chronically stressed individuals and we pushed them really super hard. Okay, so uh, if, if they had been in there by themselves doing this bout of resistance training, they would never have been able to achieve the level of intensity uh, that we had plotted out for them. They would, it was a very complicated workout that we, we were giving these people. Um, but me as the coach, as the trainer in that study, I was able to uh, take this, this group of extremely stressed people, and they were, they were very stressed, um, and, and get them through an extremely vigorous level of resist, uh, bout of resistance training. Um, the consequence to that was they were able to rise to the occasion. They were able to get through it, sometimes with a lot of screams and um, <laughs> literally uh but their recovery was really bad right okay so that was the whole point of that paper yeah these people they were able to get through it they were somehow able to ramp up they were able to give energy um but then the the recovery took two times three times four times as long as a person who who was very low in stress so uh, I mean, my sort of general thought about this is that stress is like a, cr a crisis of energy. And I've said this in some other interviews and podcasts before, like stress is a, a crisis of energy. And there's, you know, you maybe you can somehow find the energy to get through these, these, these workouts, but then you just don't have the energy for the recovery. Right. So you, something has to give in other words. I think, that relates a little bit or to me it seems like it relates a little bit to the kind of the super compensation idea or at least right. you accumulate kind of training volume and potentially stress over time and maybe you mm -hmm. can push yourself very hard even when you're in a very stressed position but knowingly potentially that that's going to cause you to have to pull back kind of potentially deload um within a training mm -hmm. cycle and that is nice because it works within uh what we kind of know as well Right. I mean, so maybe you're the type of person that activates with stress and maybe you, you activate even more. So you're working out really, really hard, but you have to recognize the fact that there's a risk that, you know, over the next several days, you just may not recover as well. You might be really sore. You might be extremely fatigued and your future workouts in the next few days are, are going to be much worse. Right. Again, going back to the super compensation response, because you're just now your, your equilibrium again is disrupted. You're working at a much lower level of function. So um, th that's where a good coach or trainer really comes into to play. Right. That's why you really need that extra set of eyes to help you think through um, those actions and consequences. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the podcast. Just wanted to take one moment of your time to actually talk about our coaching services over at Revive Stronger. We at Revive Stronger, we offer an incredible premium personal coaching service just for people like you. And I know you will love it. Do you want to work with us? Here's what I need you to do. Head over to revivestronger.com. Go up to the coaching tab click on online coaching. Once there, read through the requirements and what it takes to be an online client. Once finished, hit apply now and you're only one step away from applying to our services. Fill out the Google form and you're done. And that was basically it. A coach is going to reach out to you shortly and then it's Team Revive Stronger. And this actually relates really well to a, que a question that Miguel uh, Bakut sent over for you. Um, and mm -hmm. it goes along the lines of what does the relationship between stress and recovery slash gains actually look like? Is it a linear relationship where every increase in stress leads to a detriment in recovery 
or does a certain amount of stress have to be accumulated before it becomes detrimental to training? So if getting a little stressed about a deadline, will that interfere with my training at all? Or does it need to be a large amount of stress to have a detriment that's seen? Uh, that's an excellent question. In other words, is there some sort of like threshold uh, that you have to cross? Right. Yeah. Uh, in order that that we didn't we didn't study that. Uh, in the study I did, the studies we conducted, we we screened large numbers of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, to find highly stressed people and to find low stressed people. Um, uh, the high stress people were like one standard deviation or more, maybe one and a half standard deviations above the mean, above the average for, for chronic stress. So they were quite stressed. Um, the low stress people were one and a half standard deviation, something like this below the mean. Um, so that's a really excellent question. You know, um, I, I don't know if I can directly answer that question, mm -hmm. but I, I can tell you this. If you have just a little bit of stress, there are, um, strategies or tactics that you can employ to maybe just sort of diffuse that little bit of stress so that you can continue with your training as planned. Um, I mean, we know that I mean, even something as, as little as going for a 10 minute walk, right. Or even a five minute walk can help to, uh, help you to relax and help you to diffuse stress. So the thought that I've, I've had is that, you know, maybe in situations like this, um, you have you're having just a bad day okay so that's what you're getting at right okay you're just having a bad day you're not like you're not like sweating from like chronic mm -hmm. unremitting stress over several days okay let's say you're having a bad day okay um you know what extend your warm-up a little bit right extend your warm-up a little bit maybe add five or ten extra minutes of stretching in there um and it's possible that that in itself could just could help to to, to relieve that stress that you're feeling. And then you're energized, you're ramped up, and you're ready for your, your regularly scheduled training mode. Love that. Okay. So, um, and actually that was some of the extra content that I was gonna share you. There's a systematic way that I do this with my own um, students and clients and, and patients. Okay, now we have to recognize though that sometimes um, people do not respond well um, even to that extra ramping up time that extra warm-up time okay um even after they've they're given an extra an extra 10 minutes to warm up or ramp up they're still just really uh, exhausted and may, maybe in some cases they're actually feeling worse okay so uh when i see that happen uh it's sort of a flag to me that okay this person might be just really chronically stressed and uh you know we should cancel the regularly scheduled <laughs> um moderate to vigorous intensity training program and we're just going to extend it and just do light we're just going to we're just going to this, this is just an easy day this is just a de-stressing day uh the rest of the routine is just light intensity and if they can't tolerate that okay we're just, we're going to go over to the uh the floor we're going to do some some extra stretches um you know some light functional exercises or in some extreme cases right someone who's like uh, has had a traumatic recent stressor uh, which i have observed um we've just canceled the rest of the workout because they really need a recovery day they just need a day off or they need to go deal with whatever they're stressing about right they could use that extra 30 minutes so there is somewhat of a 
um, a systematic way to approach that. If you're working with someone who uh, might just have had a bad day, they're just mildly stressed, or someone who might be, you know, moderately stressed from a series of bad things that are going on in their life, or maybe they just had like a traumatic stressor. So um, a coach or a trainer needs to develop some sort of skill set or repertoire of um, activities like a decision tree almost that they can do with their right. clients. Um, and I can, I'm, if anyone wants to contact me, I'm more than, more than happy to provide um, the strategies I've used. Awesome. The actual decision trees. Do you have, I don't know if you're able to talk through the decision tree. Do you know it um, off the top of your head well enough to talk through like a, an example decision tree or um, is that, is that too much or, or maybe just a, it might not be yes. perfect, but kind of roughly what it might look like. Essentially, it's what I just already, it's what I just said. It's what okay. I just uh, already talked talk through. Um, uh, yeah, I, what I, I ask people, okay, it, asks, it starts with the question, you know, are you stressed today? Right? Are you feeling stressed? Is, uh, is there anything that you want to talk about? If someone says, yeah, I, I had a really bad day, I'm feeling stressed. Um, and it's going back to those objective versus subjective markers of yeah. stress, right? So people might say, yeah, I'm feeling really down. Um, but you can also see it, right? So I had um, I had a client before, I, she stands out top of my mind. Um, she really suppresses her stress. She never admits that she's stressed. She's always, she always puts on the bright and cheery face, but I could just see like, she's, she's white. She's ashen. She's just, she has a strange grayish color to her. She's drained. Okay. She's just really, really drained. She's trying to put on the best face, but, um, you know, working in this area for long enough, I realized, okay, let's, let's extend the warm up a little bit. Okay. So usually we do like a 10 minute warm up. I'm going to add an extra 10 minutes. We did a 10 minute warm up. And I'm just looking for a response. So the crucial thing is, how does that person then respond respond to that warm up? Um, and on that one particular day that I'm thinking of, I, I saw her color return. Right? I saw her color return. She's she's speaking normally. Her voice is is more clear. Um, I can see that she's moving more vigorously. She responded well. So that told me, okay, she's ready to do her normally. Uh, her normal scheduled workout, and we, and we did that. Um, but on other days, uh, with this same client, what I observed was that even after that extended warm up, she couldn't ramp up. I mean, there was just no, there was nothing more that she could really give. So um, I told her in situations like this, okay, we're not counting repetitions. We're not going to do the, <laughs> we're not doing the whole three sets of ten thing. Uh, what we're going for now is it's just psychological wellness. Just we're just moving to feel good. That's the whole point. Okay, so you know, let's do some bicep curls, but I'm not even counting the repetitions. You're just you're just moving for the sake of moving. You're moving to make yourself feel good. And at any point you don't feel good, you just stop. Okay, and on days like that, that also was effective. Okay, we just it was just a psychological wellness day. Um, and so I I know a lot of coaches are not willing. <laughs> or able or uh, they, they can't individualize training sessions like that um, but I, I think in some cases that maybe they should um, and I think what they would find is that okay maybe that 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 training session didn't count for much right I mean there was no gain in fitness maybe there wasn't even a maintenance of fitness but 
the, the hope is that, okay, tomorrow there will be, right? Or maybe in two days there will be, okay? So I think we have to give people some credit for that, right? Um, people have bad days and there's ways to deal with that. Yeah, I think that sounds like a really nice tool to almost auto-regulate somewhat your training. And if maybe I obviously, I work online with clients, but I could definitely describe what you said there and kind of talk them through mm -hmm. that and hope they can be objective enough to know whether or not to push themselves. Essentially, what you're able to do there is make sure you're producing a stress and not de-stress in that sense. Because it sounds like if someone was just to push through when they were gray in the face, not feeling well, they just cause a de-stressor and they'd have a kind of the recovery debt that was unwanted afterwards. Whereas you're trying to kind of promote you stress all the time uh, or for the majority of the time, at least of someone's training. Mm. Yeah. And there's another thing to consider here too, is that people are at a higher risk when they're feeling like just really negative emotions, right? I mean, they're at a higher risk for injury. They're at a higher risk of, you know, there's just losing focus and dropping a weight. There's a higher risk of, so I think it's also in the, like the trainer and the athletes or the coach's best interest. <laughs> Um, even maybe from a legal standpoint yeah. to like have these strategies because, you know, there's a profound effect of stress on concentration, focus, planning, um, self-monitoring, right? Okay. So they're not self-monitoring as well. So, um, you know, in some, you know, extreme cases of stress, it might just behoove the coach or the trainer to say, okay, like let's resume tomorrow. <laughs> And on the note of kind of trying to reduce stress, have you looked heavily into kind of ways that people can kind of, yeah, the best ways people can reduce stress? I don't know if there's certain kind of people talk about meditation or you talked mm. about the walks and people talk about like yeah. supplementation like ashwagandha or something. I don't know if these are things you've looked much into. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have. Um, so working with Dr. Sinha at the Yale Stress Center here in New Haven, Connecticut, um, we've done studies with mindfulness meditation, which works wonders. I mean, it, it really does. It sounds very new agey and maybe a little, little gimmicky and everyone's talking about it, but um, it really can help. And I mean, the basic precepts of mindfulness meditation, of, of just being in the, the moment, Right. And it's so difficult to be in the moment when you're stressed, right? Because you're thinking about the past, you're thinking a lot about the future, threats that could arise in the future. But just just being in the present moment, um, doing so non non-judgmentally, because you know, when you're stressed, you're probably um, you know, hitting on yourself because you feel like you did something wrong or someone else did something wrong. So trying to detach from those just negative uh judgments. Um, is also very, very helpful. And so uh, it takes time, it takes practice, but you know, even someone who's, who's only been doing it for five or 10 minutes can derive some benefits from it. If you keep practicing it for several weeks, you're going to get better and better, better at it. Um, and there might be like really useful ways to integrate something like a mindfulness meditation, maybe even before the workout, after the workout, or maybe even ways during the workout, uh, like in between sets, for instance. So, or, or the, as you're conducting the workout. So I, I know there are people out there who are investigating ways to do that uh with athletes but that's that's definitely one way um that you can do it yeah i've seen uh, i always amazes me to see like uh, in the olympics when the like, weightlifters do their lifts and they mm -hmm. amp themselves up they do the lift and then they're just completely kind of chill afterwards they just i don't know they put their music back in and they just look 
really kind of recovered and that whereas other people would just continue to feel amped after that and i guess that's you know i, I always think that that's a really powerful way to kind of get the the right balance between the two kind of knowing when to be kind of stressful and when to kind of then come back into your shell yeah um that's something that takes a lot of practice and a lot of effort to figure out like what what type of routine is best for you um, you know, maybe it's guided imagery, uh, maybe it's self affirmations that you listen to and audio, uh, which I have, I found all those things to be helpful. Um, and maybe even combining those things. Um, so yeah. Um, and then of course, avoiding stress, <laughs> just avoiding stress, right? Uh, you know, we're, we're humans, we have very large brains, we have a prefrontal cortex that works very powerfully. Uh, we can use these things to, uh, plan our day, plan our week, plan our uh, the months ahead of us and avoid stress, right? So for instance, uh, with our, our interview mishap a week ago or two weeks ago, um, I, I could have double checked those emails a little better uh, to make sure that I had the right time, uh, realizing that there's a five hour difference between you and the United Kingdom and myself in the United States. Uh, but I, I sort of made a few assumptions, right? Uh, about when the interview was gonna be. So I could have just avoided that stress. You know, the best way to, to deal with stress is just to avoid stress, okay? Uh, so organize your life better. <laughs> Hey, uh, have, have more smarter goals. Um, you know, maybe plan your day the previous day, right? Uh, before you end your day, you're planning, uh, the next day you're reviewing that plan just before you go to bed. Those are like easy, easy strategies to just avoid stress. So the best way to deal with stress is really to avoid it. Um, and then, um, and then come up with, with or not come up with, but generate a list of, like all of the stressors that you foresee could be happening in whatever that time frame is. So let's say you're an Olympic athlete. Well, um, there could be a problem with your transportation. There could be a problem with my visa. There could be a problem, right? And so you're, you, you're thinking about those potential stressors beforehand because you're trying to avoid them. So really that's the number one thing you could do. And that takes the help of sometimes a good trainer or a good coach to, to help you to see uh, what those stressors might be. Because if you're a 23 22 year old athlete, right? You, you may not be able to see those things. You might be completely blindsided by those things, but an experienced coach or trainer who's 10 or 20 years older than you can foresee those things, right? So um, eliciting the help from, from people who are more experienced than you is, is so helpful. So it's a two prong approach. It's avoiding stress. Um, it's dealing with stress that's happening right now. And then there's sort of these routines that help you to, to, to be more mindful and clear and just help you to deal with the daily the daily stress i love that approach and especially the the kind of like you laid it out for like the olympic athlete but i'm even thinking uh for physique athletes at least in their mm -hmm. peak week before like they're stepping on right. stage stress reduction's huge so i'm always like make sure like i give them like a tick sheet that they've got everything they need they've got their tan booked in they've got their trunks like they don't need to they've got their food and they've got it all in the house they don't need to go and buy anything because mm. you're completely right actually avoiding stress is the best way to be like low stress so uh, I, i'm so glad you laid that out another strategy speaking of physique by the way i signed up for a physique competition about eight years ago oh awesome <laughs> okay signed yeah. up you didn't do it I didn't do it, and this is why, because two weeks after I signed up for the physique competition, I had a major flood in my apartments. Oh, wow. 
Okay. So I had uh, 400, 500 gallons of raw sewage in my apartment uh, after a torrential downpour here in New Haven uh, in a historic neighborhood that I lived. And I had already put down a significant amount of money because uh, I had a, I hired a coach. Um, and uh, New Haven's kind of a small little mecca for physique competitions here in the United States. And um, um, I, I came to the realization of about two, about two or three days after this flood that there's just no way. Like I, I, I will, I'm never going to be prepared for this competition um, because I don't even have a home right now. <laughs> no. Like, I, and that's, that's significant. Okay. Like you can't just put a happy face on that. Like I don't have a home. Um, 80% of my clothes have been ruined. I lost my computer and I'm living in my landlord's basement. Right. Okay. And all of my meals, all of my meals are at diners. I think there's also my point here being that you also have to know, um, when to get out. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. You have to know, and, and that, that also improves with age, you know? So am I going to just continue with, you know, I could just be stoic again. Right. And I could, I could be like, okay, I'm the warrior. I'm going to get through this and I'm going to have this triumphant story at the end. Right. I, I still do this physique competition despite all of this, but um, I think a wise person would know when to, to pull out. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's going to be other competitions. Right. And so there's this whole idea. His name is Daniel Kahneman, and he wrote a really famous book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Perhaps you're familiar with yeah. it. And um, one of the biggest takeaways I took from this book was just the whole idea of when when to end something like when when yeah. to pull out if of a project uh, if it's just not going well. Okay. So that's just a whole nother facet to things. I'm not encouraging your, your listeners to like give up on their dreams uh, or their, their stories of triumph that, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but, um, but, you know, taking time off is okay. Mm -hmm. You know, taking care of yourself is okay. Right. So I think that's a key take home message. Yeah. Fantastic. No, I think that's really cool. And, the only other thing I think it's probably far less powerful than the strategies you've already laid out. But did you say you'd looked into any kind of avenues of supplementation? We're always looking for, e like taking something sounds a lot easier than kind of trying to avoid stress. And do Obviously, it's a far mm -hmm. smaller thing, the top of the pyramid, um, if we're thinking about effective ways to reduce stress. But do you think there are any kind of decent ones out there? Well, if you have any, this is the first thing that pops into mind. If you have any vitamin deficiencies, uh, you may not be dealing well with stress. Okay. So it's very common here in the state of Connecticut uh, to have a vitamin D deficiency. Okay. Uh, and sure enough, I had that check and I did. Okay. So uh, of course I wanted to take care of that because I'm, I'm just, I was feeling chronically just fatigued, right? You know, again, stress being like a, a chronic stress being a crisis of energy, right? You, I'm looking for more energy here, right? We, we can do anything if we just have more energy. So absolutely. There, there are very simple nutritional um, strategies, you know, getting your vitamin levels checked, you know, doing some intervening then if something's wrong. Um, uh, there was a point where I had to start supplementing with B vitamins and vitamin and B12, um, after, 
a really bad illness I had several years ago. Okay. So, uh, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, it, we, we live in an age here where, you know, people are on keto the keto diet. Um, <laughs> people are very low in carbs. Just before competitions, of course, you're like extremely low in carbs. Well, of course, when you're stressed, what do you want? You have cravings for carbs, right? You have cravings for, it's proven, you have cravings for highly palatable foods, right? Your body is like just dying, it's begging for highly palatable foods. You know, it wants the sugar, it wants it wants the fat. Why? Because it wants that energy. It wants to store that energy, right? It's a crisis of energy. So uh, we have to like really think clearly about that and plan for that. We need contingency plans, right? Um, if you're going to be low in carbs, then you're going to, you're going to need even better strategies to deal with stress. I guess, like you said, the kind of the, the, the hallmark of stress is kind of not being at homeostasis. So any deficiencies, uh, like being in a calorie deficit or a deficiency of well, body fat one for a competitor, but vitamins and minerals, like actually probably somewhat easier things to potentially level out and get in check and as a like someone who is putting themselves purposely through a stressful thing to get to a certain outcome you can try and keep as many things under control as possible so like sleep for example taking care mm -hmm. of that as best you can so i think that's actually a really nice and powerful sort of thing for people to think about um just like taking it like taking a checkup of everything, get a blood uh, panel and see what's kind of going on underneath the hood. Right. You know, and then there are other things I do as well. I don't, I don't know if there's a great, great evidence, but I admit I do a scoop of uh, acai powder every day, <laughs> organic acai powder from Brazil. I always make sure it's imported from Brazil. I've spent a lot of time in Brazil. Um, and I don't know, it just gives me a boost. I'm not saying a lot of your, your listeners should do that. I, I do it because I've had some concerns that maybe I have some some deficiencies and and antioxidants and bioflavonoids, so I do that. But um, you know, having a well-rounded diet is extremely important, right? Um, and, and the same thing for your exercise routine, having a well-rounded exercise routine as well. Okay, so uh, if you're the type of gal or guy who who's just hits the gym, you know, the weights really, really, really hard. Well, you know. You don't give up on your stretching routine. Don't give up on your core stability. Don't give up on your yoga movements. Don't give up on um, some of that cardio, right? Because there's like, there's a whole, you know, there's the, the food menu that that we want variety from, but there's also the movement menu, right? You know, so we want the, we want movement nutrients as well. And on a final, probably a final note, uh, something I think I remember reading in The Stress of Life, and it was talking mm -hmm. about just what the body's has kind of a standardized response to stress almost like depend doesn't really matter where the stress right. is coming from it tends to have the same kind of physiological response and i think it was talking about how kind of it just you retain water it's just kind of like a preventative the body seems to prevent water i don't know if that's is that right is that what is the standardized response to stress if there is one Right. So thinking back to Hans Selye and his famous, you know, general adaptation syndrome, um, you know, the alarm stage, the activity stage, the exhaustion stage. Right. Okay. So that's what he discovered in, in inducing these stressors with rodents. What he later wrote about is something called the, um, the local adaptation syndrome 
Okay, so uh, he, he that, that was in later writings, and most of your listeners will not probably be familiar with it, but um, he also describes local stress, you know, so it's very applicable to someone who's, you know, they, they do their leg day, well, you have the local, the local inflammatory response. What you're talking about here is inflammation. Um, one of the, the hallmarks of, of someone who's chronically stressed is that not only do they sometimes not recover well, but they do not react as well. Their reactivity is not as good, okay? So the whole point of the stress process, stress is a process, right? And that, that really should go back to the definition, right? It's, it's a process. So you're, you're ramp, you, you react really hard, and then you, you recover really fast, right? So a good stress, stress response is you react and you recover, you react and recover. Uh, some people are able to react, but then they just, they, they, they can't recover very long, uh, very well, or they have this prolonged protected recovery. And then there are other people that just barely react and they just sort of, oof, <laughs> they stay elevated for a long period of time. And as part of my dissertation, we looked at three inflammatory biomarkers. We looked at tumor necrosis factor alpha, we looked at interleukin-1 um, beta, and we looked at inter IL-6. And what we found, um, in some of these um, inflammatory biomarkers is that in our stress population, they just, they, they didn't have the reactivity. They, they just sort of, they had a small reaction and they just sort of lingered uh, for a while. Whereas our low stress individuals, they had a really strong reactivity and then they had a, like a really strong recovery. So um, I don't know if that exactly gets to your question, but, but the whole, the body should, should react. Okay, the body should react. That's normal. We're not trying to suppress a reaction, um, but we're trying to react strongly and we're trying to recover strongly. And by doing that, you have the super compensation response, right? And then, you know, a day later or two days later, you're able to do another training bout, perhaps just as strong, and you're able to have another reaction and recovery. And then a few days later, another reaction and a recovery. That's the goal. What you don't want to be in is in the state, perhaps, where you're just barely reacting and you're just, your, your cortisol staying high and it's not recovering. And so I think if that's the case, that's when you start seeing some of these, these lingering physiological effects that you're describing. Yeah, I definitely see it. I think it was described in some of the like Minnesota starvation studies and the the guys had like uh, edema on the ankles. And I've definitely seen that mm -hmm. myself when uh, I've been dieting a long time for like a competition. And I think some competitors get mm -hmm. it. And then like you said, carbohydrates um, come to the rescue and sometimes that can help to alleviate a lot of the stress and they, the physique kind of tightens up. Uh, so it, it's super interesting. It's kind of like you need that stressor to be removed you need that adaptation before you get the kind of thing you're looking for well and another thing to add to that is by the way stress has an effect on so many of our other health behaviors so some people when they, they get stressed they they start drinking more they start they're literally more thirsty uh, and then other people they lose their sense of thirst oh wow they're just not thirsty, you know, and then and then I've noticed this with some of the clients I've worked with and I say, you know, hey, you know, you haven't been drinking any water. Don't you think you should be drinking some water? And they, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm not thirsty. I th I'm doing really good. In that. No, you really, really need to be drinking some water. You know, I th think you're really entering a state of dehydration. And they're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, well, why are you having headaches right now? Like, why are you just feeling so sluggish and down? I mean, maybe it's just so 
uh, you know, stress has an effect on your thirst, sense of thirst. It has an effect on your sense of hunger. Uh, it has a sense of, you know, it has an effect on your, your, your sense of energy and fatigue. So again, going back to that sort of like stress profiling, you know, even people who, when they're stressed out, they stop flossing. <laughs> I mean, like there are like really interesting studies on that. They give up little things like they give up their flossing, right? Uh, this morning I was in a rush to get to the venue because it's really early here. So I didn't shave quite as well as I normally do, as you know. So I've got a little, little more facial hair today. Uh, but these things are cumulative and they add up over time. So it's really hard to tease out like, okay, you're seeing like some, you're, you're noticing something about yourself, but really what is really the source of that effect? Now, it, it might, there might, the source or the, it might be, you may not be able to see it. Okay. So again, that's why you need a good trainer or a good coach, right? I mean, they, they can see things that you literally cannot see. Fantastic. Amazing. I've really enjoyed this chat, Matt. And uh, thank you so much for yeah making the time and being here. I want to make sure if people want to learn more about you, uh, see your research, uh, where is it that if they want to kind of find out more about yourself, they should head? Uh, you know what? Uh, that's uh, that's an excellent question. They can just literally Google my name. Um, I'm sure you'll have some sort of name typed out there. Um, I actually have a hyphenated last name. It's Matthew Stoltz Kolmainen, K-O-L-E-E-H-M-A-I-N-E-N. Um, but if you just put in Matthew Stoltz, S-T-U-L-T-S, that's fine. And then you'll find all sorts of stuff. Um, and uh, if if you find my profile on Teachers College the, the Teachers College Columbia website, then you can you can link with me directly through my email. Amazing! I'll make sure I'll, I'll make sure to have that uh, linked. And also, I know uh, I've got kind of various bits of your research from ResearchGate, so I'll make sure that profile is up there as well, so people can yeah read into the studies, dig into it because yeah, stress mm -hmm. is super interesting. So yeah, thank you once again, Matt, for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye bye. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Flohm. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets.
I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.